we'll get started. Sure. And, uh, angel position. <laughs> thank you for respecting the process. Hey, bubblers, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's the podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today Laura and I will be visiting the all-inclusive, very romantic hotel and resort and spa, The White Lotus. Hello, Laura. Hi. Hi. (laughs) The White Lotus series, which is on uh, HBO Max, this came from like a listener suggestion, right? You Someone you know that listens to at least our episode suggested that we cover this one. Yeah. I honestly didn't know what to expect going into it either. I read the the little, you know, like TV guide description blurb thing. And I'm like, okay, it's like a dramedy thing. All right. It's only six episodes. You know, it can't get like two in the weeds. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Holy shit. I know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't heard of it. And then when I saw the cast list, I was like, all right, I can get behind this and then started it. And I was like, oh, yeah, six episodes. That's easy. And I was just like, what is going on here? Um, So it's (laughs) so this this show was going to be just a limited run series, but it has since been renewed for a second season by HBO. And we'll talk about that uh, a little later. But the, the White Lotus takes place at a very fancy schmancy hotel resort and called the White Lotus and located in beautiful scenic Hawaii. I'm sorry. We follow a few different groups of people at this resort for about a week and see the crazy shit that went down. Uh, The series stars Steve Zahn, love him. Connie Brighton, love her. Natasha Rothwell, love her. Jennifer Coolidge, fucking love her. And Murray Bartlett, which now I love him. And just a real quick kind of a fun fact, uh, this series was written and directed by Mike White, who is probably most recognizable for playing Ned Schneebly in the movie School of Rock starring Jack Black, which he also wrote. He is the son of Mel White. And until the early 90s, Mel White was a speech and ghostwriter for evangelical far-right Christian figures like Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, and Billy Graham. Uh, When Mel finally accepted his long-repressed homosexuality, he and his wife, Lila, divorced amicably, and Mel started a gay rights organization called Soul Force. And then uh, Mike's mother, Lila, uh, later became an executive director for the historic performing arts venue, Pasadena Playhouse in Pasadena, California. So that I thought was very interesting. Uh, That kind of background about uh, Mike's father plays a little bit into the series. And I did a little bit of reading on uh, Mel White, James Melville White. And yeah, he did all those things. He wrote, did did the ghostwriting thing and has since uh, devoted his time to minister uh, LGBTQA plus youths, focusing on kind of their faith and their uh, sexuality. So I thought that was very cool. I think if you know you, you aren't aware, maybe give them a quick Google check out a book or two, or look into some of his uh, activism. So there's our fun. There's a very interesting fact. Uh, We were just talking before we got started that usually when I do my research for a show, I rarely go down a rabbit hole of the director, but for whatever reason I did. And so I'm not, and I'm glad, I think that's a very interesting little bit of little tidbit, a little bit of trivia. Yeah. I mean, it it definitely demonstrated the, um, inspiration for some of the things that the characters we meet are dealing with. Mm -hmm. 
that's kind of your spoiler warning. We're going to go into basically the overall plot and then we'll get into the characters. So the series opens and with mega douche Shane and he's talking to some nosy ass couple at the airport, asking him questions about his trip and yada, yada. And he tells them where he stayed, that he was at the White Lotus. And the lady's like, oh, wasn't there a murder there? And he's just kind of dismissive. And then that's how we get introduced in flashback to the resort and these groups of people staying there. So we meet Shane and his new wife, Rachel, poor Rachel. And let's see. And we also have like the, the rich white family and their daughter's friends. So we have the Mossbackers and Paula, a grieving hot mess, Tanya. Stifler's mom. Stifler's mom. Yep. <laughs> Played by the <laughs> wonderful Jennifer Coolidge. And she needs more respect and admiration than I don't know if she gets, but she is fucking hilarious. No. And I love her to pieces. And just about everything she does cracks me up. She is really good at playing a hot mess. She, <laughs> she really is. And I love that, you know, definitely by the end of the series, she owns up to a lot of that. And I think that's I think that's really great. Yeah. So those are some of the guests that we meet. And we also meet the staff, Armand, the hotel manager, who we'll get into. Because <laughs> what <laughs> the fuck do you say? Uh, Belinda, she's the spa manager. Yeah. And also like a healer and works at the spas being exploited because of her talents and everything. We meet uh, Dylan, a lot of Dylan. And then mm-hmm. for just like a really hot minute in like the first episode, we meet Lonnie. <laughs> Poor Lonnie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lonnie's storyline. Uh, you know, <laughs> I wasn't sure if she was like going to make a reappearance later. Mm-hmm. But man, but. You know, going back to the the intro where they're sitting at the airport at the end of this vacation, it was interesting, you know, in hindsight, going back to that conversation, because when they were talking about the person who was killed and he responded that they were loading the body onto the plane, it was kind of nonchalant. Like there was a terseness there because who likes being questioned by strangers, right? Right. But, you know, it wasn't too bad. But then when they're like, where's your wife? Where's your wife? Where's your wife? He's like fuck off. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, Ooh, I wonder if it's his wife on the plane. So like the whole time I'm watching the show, I'm thinking, nah, she's the one who's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so they did a really good job of like a very misleading, like misdirection type technique right then and there. And then they threw in another one later. So I just thought from a writing perspective, it was a really clever way to start out. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I love how it kind of starts off that murder mystery. It's like we know someone dies, but then you spend the next six episodes just being like, ooh, who was it and who done it? Well, I feel like that's your hook, though, Yeah. because like this show, if this okay, I can't think of a genre name for this. Like, I know the description said drama comedy type series. Okay, fine. But no, you know what? Cringe is a drama is a is a is a genre like horror is a genre like rom-com is a genre this is cringe if you want cringiness to be your entertainment for the next six episodes watch this show because you are cringing like on their behalf the whole time (laughs) and I think I read that it's it's a satire of like white privilege and everything so oh yeah satire can definitely fall under many different genres and subgenres. I mean, absolutely satire and cringe can kind of go hand in hand depending on what you're 
satirizing. Did I say that right? Uh, sure. I, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe I made up I've a word. Used it, I've never used it as a verb before. <laughs> but yeah, like cringe should be its own genre. Like if you're scrolling through the different things on Netflix or whatever streaming service you use, of course, this, you know, it wasn't Netflix, it was HBO Max. So whoops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, cringe should be like the subject matter you can choose from. And then you have all these shows because my god this is like cringe core i couldn't stop watching it but I, you know it was just difficult because you're you're in that permanent oh god yeah yeah some of the shit like some of these rich white people are saying and 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 you know obviously that's that from what i've read that was like the whole point and everything i will say i was very disappointed that it obviously wasn't shane that died Cause you know, the show opens with him alive. And I'm just like, God, if anyone deserved to fucking die, it's that giant douchey piece of shit. Okay. Quick question. When did you first go? Oh my God, this guy is a mega douche. Uh, was it in the airport? In the or? airport. Yeah. Okay. There was something about, he had that like preppy Chad dress about him. Look to him. You know what I mean? Oh, he was such a Chad. <laughs> such, I don't know. I'm disappointed. His I was name wasn't him. Chad. Well, yeah, honestly, I think that might be why I had such a hard time remembering his and his <laughs> wife's name till the last episode. <laughs> uh, no, it was really that bad. I'm just like, what is his name? <laughs> but entitled but, man, baby. You know, I gave him a pass because like in the airport, he's all stressed out and spinning his wedding ring. And, you know, like, like, OK, something clearly bad happened to this guy. But then they do the flashback to start the week off and you get to see what happens. It's like. Well, whatever fucking bad happened to him, he totally fucking deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Shane and Rachel, they're newlyweds and they're on their honeymoon and they start off just so in love and everything. And then through conversations that she has with other characters in the show, we find out that they only met like a few months ago and it was yeah. a, a whole whirlwind thing. And even as she's like retelling how they met and got married, she's kind of realizing that she just got swept up in the moment that there really isn't anything there. That was kind of her first inkling that uh, maybe this wasn't the best decision to make so quickly. And then throughout the rest of the series, the season run, we see that he becomes obsessed with all just getting what he feels like he deserves. They, they booked the pineapple room, but they got the palm room or whatever the fuck. Which honestly was a better room in my opinion, but whatever. Yeah. So he becomes obsessed about it and he makes Armand's life a living hell. Poor fucking Armand. And and then all this shit. It's like Shane didn't even pay for the room. His mom paid for it because they're super duper rich. So he keeps calling his mom to make things right. And the whole time, Rachel's just like, let it go. Let's just try to enjoy it. But he's like hyper fixated on it. And then his mom shows up, played by Molly Shannon. Yay, Molly Shannon. I know. I was like, hey, it's Superstar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember people's names. <laughs> so it was it was great to see her, but definitely she's playing like rich, white, privileged. And at this point, when she comes into the series, Rachel's already kind of really starting to second guess if she made the right choice because she's got questions about her career. And Shane's just like, you don't need to work. Why do you want to work? And just belittles her about wanting to be an independent, still maintain some independence. Then yeah, Molly Shannon shows up and basically tells her like, be a trophy wife. That's what you're here for. 
that's you got picked. I don't know what it is, uh, what it was about you out of all these other women in my son's life. Yeah. You know, on that subject, that was, I was like probably fixating on this a little too much um, because, you know, she kept on saying it was such a beautiful wedding, such a beautiful wedding, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. But I don't remember any of it. And I'm like, are you trying to say that your son's bride is not very memorable and she needs to like know her place because she's replaceable? I feel like there was a lot of that, um, those not so subtle backhanded digs um, coming from Miss Molly Shannon. Yeah, those lovely compliments that aren't really compliments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're my favorite. Oh, yeah. Molly Shannon did a, an amazing job playing someone with their nose way up in the air. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it's like. And then it seemed like she was supposed to leave like earlier and everything, her departure to go meet her friend at this other really nice hotel kept getting pushed back as she just is just a meddling mom. Shane's not Shane's happy that she's there. He's not picking up on any signs, anything coming from Rachel and her discomfort is palatable. It's right there. I mean, it gets worse <sighs> as the episodes progress and he's still has no fucking clue until she actually says, I think I made a mistake marrying you. Yeah. And even and then, then, even after that fight, he goes for a swim. He comes back and acts like nothing happened. Yeah. He's so and I'm fucking like, dismissive. Oh, I hate how him. How the fuck can you do that? Oh, like, can't you feel the awkwardness? Like, and then I, then it hit me. This guy has zero empathy. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't. He couldn't recognize anyone's emotions except his own because those are the only ones that he's he cares about. That's ever like, been validated for him. I mean, narcissist much. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, he was the fucking worst. And so that actor, I recognized him, but I couldn't place him. Me so too. I looked him up and he was in like the later seasons of The Office with uh, Evan Peters. Uh, that's not it for me. I wonder what no? it is. That's that's where I reckon that's where I recognized him from. So I didn't check anywhere else, but I was like, oh, okay, you're that guy. And he's got the best. I'm so sorry, dude. You've got the best douchey face. I don't know if he did anything with his face to make like tighten his lips or anything or make his or if he really doesn't have like an upper lip because it seemed to kept disappearing, especially when he was upset and like bitching about like the hotel room or mad at Armand or something. But I was like. They could not have cast a more perfect, at least perfect looking Chad than they did with uh, that guy whose name I don't have in front of me. Because why would I have that? Jake Lacey is the actor's name that played Shane. All right. I got to look him up because I, I know him from somewhere, but I can't figure out where. Girls. He was in the show Girls. That seems like something you'd watch. <laughs> Ouch, no, I haven't. <laughs> Don't worry, I didn't watch it either. So oh, guiding light. He played a oh, he, shit. He played oh shit. shit. It's, it's probably that. Oh, that was one of the ones that my stepmom always watched. Oh my god, this is not good for me. PTSD much? <laughs> god, and his character's name was Chip. Uh almost Chad. Almost Chad. Oh, he was in Johnny English Strikes Again, the the Mr. Bean movie. <laughs> <laughs> look look okay. look you can hate you can hate on mr bean all you want i don't hate but, on mr bean okay good 
Some people do. But uh, Rowan Atkinson actually does a really awesome job at highbrow humor in like Black Adder and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I have way more respect for him than the average person does because everyone's just like, oh, Mr. Bean. (laughs) Oh, I love I grew up watching Mr. Bean out of like the BBC shows that we had access to. Like my brother was all about Mr. Bean and I enjoyed the show, too. And then for me, absolutely. Abfab was my BBC show. So those were the yeah. two always kind of playing at the house because, God, I love that. I love that British humor. It's really great. I, I wish it was appreciated more. Yeah. All right. So back to Shane and Rachel. So enough about Shane. Her name's Rachel. But poor fucking Rachel. My heart broke for her by the by that last episode. Because OK, we differ here. Really? You didn't feel bad for her. For, so she's first, so she's questioning whether or not she should stay with him. They get into this fight because she's like realizes she makes a mistake and is thinking about kind of leaving. She tries to call her mom and not able to have a conversation with her mom. She tries to talk to Belinda. But by this point in Belinda's storyline, she's just like, I got nothing. Like, Can't blame no her. Fucks. And so yeah. I felt bad for Rachel because all she needed was someone to reaffirm what her gut feeling And she didn't get that. And so she made the horrible decision to just put on that fake Stepford mom, Stepford wife smile and pretend and try to be happy. And you could see her soul die in her eyes as she's saying this at the end of the at the end of the series. That's the yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, You didn't feel bad for her. God, (laughs) no, I I do think she got a picture of how bad things could be in the wealthy world and outside of it during all the events of, of white Lotus. And, you know, she chose, she was like in a rock hard place situation at the end there. And she chose the more comfortable of the two. Like, so no, I, I do it. Is it a sucky decision? Yeah. It did her soul die a little for sure, but she knew the choice she was making at that point. I mean, you're absolutely right, but I feel like she just didn't get that confirmation from it literally could have come from anybody just to be like, no, you, you, you need to follow your gut. This, this guy is a fucking giant walking red flag. Yeah, but she shouldn't have needed that. Like she's supposedly, you know, a smart woman, you know, obviously very attractive, obviously in the prime of her life, like she'd have options, whether she's wealthy or not. Okay, she signed a premium up, so she's not going to get out of that with much, if anything. But, you know, she's supposedly a journalist. I say supposedly because it became very clear to me in her uh, conversation with Nicole Mosbacher, wealthy family with a matriarchal lead. Awesome, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. um, that she's a shit journalist. <laughs> like, okay, fine. She wants to maintain some of her independence, but she's a shit journalist, like terrible. So, you know, there's more to it than, than her, you know, wanting independence and and needing confirmation in that. Like she literally didn't have much to fall back on because she set herself up that way. And I don't think journalism was, was her calling either. So she literally had no clue who she is and walking into this, but she had she had every fiber of her being telling her that she is in the wrong situation for her. 
And she chose to ignore it because nobody else on the outside said, yeah, we don't know you or anything, but yeah, you're, you totally fucked up. Get out. See, I don't know. Some, I think people need that on occasion. They need that outside confirmation just to like reaffirm that you're, you're on the right track. We all second go through points where we second guess ourselves. And that's really all we're looking for. And while you're absolutely right, she made these choices and that as an adult, you shouldn't quote, like need those, you know, that confirmation, but we do. And, and yeah, she, I guess I just, she wasn't, he spent that week manipulating her and cutting her down. Anytime when she first brings up wanting to change careers or take this other clickbait shit, buzzfeedy type writing gig, you know, he's not supportive. He's belittling. And I think with the week with him and him just chipping away at her, because that's (laughs) (laughs) just chatting away at her. I think by the end of the episode or by the end of the season, she needed that affirmation more than anything, more than anyone has any ever needed something like that, regardless of how, how much we know we are right. Yeah. And I just, I just, there was just times where it's like the shit that he said to her and the way that he said it and his dismissive fucking attitude and not paying attention to her when she's talking and getting caught up with the hotel room and trying to get back at Armand and calling the travel agent and all this other shit. It's like she, you know, she has literally no one. And she tells him when I'm with you, I feel so alone. And even though we're not going to find out what happens to this couple in season two, because it looks like it will be more of an anthology series, uh, which mm-hmm. just makes sense. Right. My hope and wish for Rachel is that when they get back to the States, she fucking leaves him because I could understand her not leaving the resort because a part of me was just like, just leave, just go. But it's been established that she can't, you know, like yeah. she doesn't have the money to do so. I don't know how much of a quote, like maybe an allowance or how much she gets of his wealth. But all I all I all I want for Rachel is to get the fuck out of that situation and yeah. go find herself without being attacked, without being just arm candy. And I hope she doesn't get lost in herself. But I feel like that's not how it's going to go. Oh. She's already lost in herself. Yes. Um, so I get I totally see. I totally see your point. And it's not that I disagree with you. You're <laughs> totally right. She is. She is being you know, mentally, emotionally manipulated throughout this entire thing. But how can I put this? She's like a caged bird, but a beautiful caged bird. But the cage is gilded and the the door is open. Ah, that's a good way to put it. Like, yes, she can leave. Will she have her regular supply of niceties and food and water or whatever? You know, whatever birds need? (laughs) No, (laughs) but she can leave. Her wings have not been clipped. I she know. can leave. Uh, I know. And you're right, too. And I, I see all the dumb things you're saying. <laughs> I guess the the my bleeding heart got in the way of that one. Where I was just like, no, Rachel, run, run. No, don't, don't get me wrong. I felt that way for her at first. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait, what the fuck are you doing? You want to know when the turning point was? Hmm. When. She was at the spa for her facial mm-hmm. after she finally told Shane that he's a giant baby man. And, you know, she's visibly, audibly crying her eyes out in the waiting room. And Belinda comes over and, you know, tries to 
lend her support then when she still had something left to offer Mm -hmm. someone in that realm. And that was her opportunity. Yeah, that was it right there. And she chose not to. I'm like, nope, that was your chance, lady. Like, you're done. You made your choice. You're going to go get your separate room and cool off and realize you can't do this by yourself because you're screwed and you're probably going to come back. Well, and know. you know, and then we got all the way to the end of the series, and she hadn't come back yet. And I was like, "Oh yes, shit! Yes, yes. Maybe I was wrong." I know. I was like, "Yes, and then, yes, yes." And then she shows up at the airport. And I'm like, "Oh fuck! Yeah, <laughs> why?" Like, I thought for a second there, Rachel, you were gonna surprise me, and oh, nope, nope, just disappointed. Oh, she had she had such that fucking Stepford wife look on her face when she got off the plane and she's like, I'll, I'll be happy. It just, it just broke my fucking heart. I was like, no, that was such a weird interaction too, because, and he's like, still Shane not, was, he's still not receptive. Was, well, Shane was visibly relieved and like he very tenderly embraced her there. And I'm like, is this what he thinks love is like is this all he's capable of because this is all he's ever had mm-hmm. like it it maybe he like he's a giant douche but maybe he's just as fucked up right now too and he feels alone and i'm like shit no don't start feeling bad for shane no and, uh. i'm like uh, and i'm like i gotta stop <laughs> that train of thought no i i at any no point ever fucking felt bad for shane because he is going to be fine. You know, I, I was reading some stuff online and people were pointing out that um, uh, the continuity of even if you get cleared for a murder, you're still like uh, overseas or out of state or whatever. You're not going to be free to go right away. And so people were kind of pointing that out. They're like, there's no way officials would have let him fly back or anything, let him leave. But uh, I think it was I think it was Mike White that was saying that that was kind of the point is that we see that Shane is white, rich and privileged as fuck and that nothing is going to happen to him. And that well, and I mean, it's not just that the circumstances of it are not like, you know, it's not like he cold blooded murdered this guy or like stalked him down and killed him because he was mad at him. No, the dude was in his room shitting in his luggage. <laughs> but either way, they still would have need. They still would not have let him go for at least a couple of days to complete no, the investigation. Right. So it's to be assumed, I think, that his parents called in a favor or something. You know, we see that. I mean, Molly Shannon makes a comment that like, oh, yes, when she got married. Yeah, she had her own money, her family's money. Yeah, so was she funny. was. That yeah, was really that funny. was really <laughs> I love her. So, I mean, these people are rich upon rich upon fucking rich. So it's I think it's safe to assume that a favor was called in and he was allowed to leave and he will continue. He will always paint himself as a victim in this situation. And honestly, it's kind of set up perfectly for him to retell that story as a victim and not and not tell the truth about what a fucking piece of shit he was the entire time. So I. Yeah, so he's he's going to be fine. <laughs> I kind of forgot where I was going on that rant, but yeah, no, he'll be fine cuz he's rich and white and all that like you said. I was a little perplexed by that like he got interviewed and then they're like, "We're so sorry, sir." 
we're so sorry that you killed someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, wow, that's hospitality at its finest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the again, the circumstances around it, he thought there was someone in his room and there's the whole backdrop of, of the Mossbackers um, getting mm-hmm. uh, robbed and, you know, beaten up a bit. And, oh, boy. you know, and you're right. It's difficult, nigh on impossible to genuinely feel bad for Shane because he's such a fucking privileged douche mm-hmm. but <laughs> but let's not forget that Armand started all this by lying in the first place and if he'd maybe just told the truth he had to deal with baby man's wrath for a little bit but then they drop it yeah I don't know I think baby man would have found something to make Armand's life hell because that's just all he even says like oh people have been after me my whole life like people just oh god when he said that i wanted to like punch him stab him myself yeah (laughs) so yeah anyways i kind of want to be done talking about shane because we have far more interesting characters to talk about (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i'm sure shane will still come into uh into those bits as well yeah, well, I mean, Armand's the other end of the the murder mystery, so yeah, I think we should. I think we should move on to Armand. Oh, Armand! <laughs> I think he was my favorite. Fucking Armand! Kiwi. Oh my god, I I loved watching his descent into Fucketville because it was me too an amazing ride. <laughs> it really was, but you know. Even before that, like his whole little speech to Lonnie about putting on the mask and and, you know, doing a doing a good job for the sake of their guests and everything. I'm like, damn, this guy's got to be a sociopath because he did that like instantaneously. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Plus the Kiwi accent. I love it. I will always love it. And I cannot you know, not be entertained by it. So good choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> on the casting front, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, he so in the first episode, he's training Lonnie and <laughs> it's like secretly pregnant, like she hasn't told anyone it's her first day. And then she ends up going into labor. She still doesn't tell anyone her water breaks in the hallway. No one notices Armand slips in it. <laughs> and he's just like, he's, oh, God. And so that's all we get of Lonnie. And it, yeah, well, oh, well, and for a minute, as soon as she had that thing on her, like on her shirt, I'm like, her boobs are leaking. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it's like for a while, I was just kind of like, well, what was the point of introducing Lonnie if we're not going to get her back? But I think that just kind of show was to show like the disorganization and kind of the hot mess that the White Lotus is really is. Yeah, before it had, you know, the perfect storm of guests to really bring it to a whole new level. <laughs> you know, and it's like when when it was realized that she was having the baby and Armand's kind of like shaken by it. He's like, I didn't he's like, I had no idea. And so it's almost like out of that tiny little snippet, I felt like Armand does care about the staff Mm -hmm. gets so caught up in being like that perfect manager, that perfect host and kissing the ass of all the, all the guests that he gets lost in that. And he's not able to like truly focus and and see, but maybe that's the point of the series is that 
we all got shit we're dealing with, but mm-hmm. it's not always picked up on by other people. Right. Yeah. First of all, I got to compliment his whole customer service persona and customer service voice. Cause honestly, it reminded me of you a bit in terms of like when you were on a phone call at work <laughs> and you'd use your customer service voice and it was just so polished and, you know, <laughs> just that, that, that touch of empathy in it and everything, you know, that puts people at ease. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what a customer service voice is as soon as he started doing it. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. And that's the thing. Like, I get the impression that the dude actually loved his job, but he got blindsided so much over the course of this one week that he just snapped. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it was all Shane. It was truly Shane that broke him. Well, I think Lonnie's yeah. situation started because you know, he was he was so upset with himself yeah. for not noticing because that's not like him. But, you know, then Shane started digging in. And, you know, at this point, he was already like thrown off because of the Lonnie thing. So he couldn't he couldn't cope with it the way that he normally would. Mm-hmm. So he turned to what we learned was like a past discretion in his life where he you know, started abusing substances again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd been clean. five years sober. Yeah. He said. Oh, and then I felt bad for him for that too. I'm like, oh no, you've been sober. You've done so good. And fuck, don't I let know. that one fucking douchebag have that much power over you. But I didn't think about truly the impact that Lonnie had on him. And then the timing of when Shane decided to be a super douche. I mean, that's always, yeah. but so I think you're absolutely right. I think the Lonnie thing and then the incessant shit from Shane And I I think you're right. I don't think he was properly ready to handle Shane the way he could have and probably has dealt with those types of people in the past. And then it got to the point where he was just like, fuck this guy. Well, and because then he started doing all the drugs because he found uh, the girls uh, with the Mossbachers left a big Olivia, Olivia and and Paula Paula left a big old bag of drugs on the beach that Dylan brought to him or maybe not Dylan, but either way. And so he's just kind of like he's tempted. And so he starts popping the pills and snorting the K and drinking the drinks. That was quite the stash they had. Can I just say? Oh, no shit. I laughed so hard when they're first pulling out all their different pills. And oh, I've got this and I've got this. And oh, yeah. And I did bring weed in a bong. Like how? <laughs> Where? Yeah. When? But also, I love that when. Armand eventually gave the bag back. He didn't bother with the weed. He's like, this shit's for amateurs. <laughs> I'm doing the hard shit. Fuck you guys. And then when they're but, like, oh, we're our meds are missing. And he's like, well, why don't you give me a detailed list of what was in that there? Was such a nice move. Ah, yeah. Yes. Armand. Yeah, it was. It was. But like, yeah, you really see him wrestling with this bag, uh, you know, that among other things that normally are found in a handbag was full of pills and, and shit because part of him knows he shouldn't do it. He should give it back. And he tried to convince himself a couple yeah. of times, but always right when he's about to do the right thing, Shane pops up and just digs his grave a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Metaphorically. And I guess literally by the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, you're right. This one person had so much power over him. And I'm also laughing now because I just remembered, too, that uh, a little over halfway through the season, after Armand is 
just thrown the fucks out the window. Tanya is grieving her, the loss of her mother and she's ready to spread, spread the ashes. So he hooks her up with the boat and everything. And then Shane comes along and he's like, I want to have a romantic, do a romantic thing for my wife. So <laughs> Armand just being on the revenge path is like, oh, hey, we've got a boat you can charter and we'll set it up for a nice romantic dinner and blah, blah, blah at sunset. Shane's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. And agrees to it. And then Armand's like, oh, by the way, there's going to be another person there, but she'll be fine. You won't even hear. But by this point, as we know, Tanya is a hot, hot fucking mess of a human being. And I love Jennifer Coolidge two pieces. So he so Armand intentionally sets Shane and Rachel on this super awkward boat dinner. Oh, God, the awkward boat dinner was one of my favorite things. Oh, my God. Any scene with Jennifer Coolidge in it in this season was was a gem. But yeah, so Armand's so Armand's really starting to like kind of go after Shane because Shane's a piece of shit. And then, yeah, with the with the side story going on with the Mossbackers and everything, there's a break in. So Shane's on like fucking high alert and he's like, I'm going to sleep with like this kitchen knife next to the pillow and everything. And by this point, Armand's just like he knows he's going to get fired the next day. So he's going to go out in a big blaze of white powdery glory and decides to sneak into Shane's room finds his suitcase and then poops in it. And we see it. No, wait, wait. (laughs) He picks out a shirt first to be the one to poop on. Like he goes through the clothes. He's like, yeah, this one's perfect. I'm like, what the fuck is he going to do? Try it on. And then he folds it back up all nicely so he can shit on it. And we get to see him shitting like the whole, not like the poop face, just the poop face. The, the side shot. Pooping. Oh my and God. I'm like, no, I don't need to see that. I, but, I started but let's, gagging. Let's, <laughs> oh, I was like, I turned to, after the first piece came out, I'm like, nope, do you, Aaron, you tell me when it's over. Um, But let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about the moment that really shifted the power balance between the two, because prior to that moment, the moment that arguably is what got Armand fired, <laughs> him, him and Shane were having a kind of back and forth power battle, weren't they? Like tit for tat oh, kind of thing. Yeah, it was the uh, then, Shane wanted the, the number for like the, the general manager or, you know, like Armand's boss. So Armand and Dylan crafted like a fake business card with a bad number. So that was the that was the current back and forth between those two. And then, yes, continue. And then, you know, Armand got one up by fucking up the romantic evening and all that shit. Right. Mm -hmm. So then (laughs) Shane wants to go talk to him in the middle of the night because the number's fake. They had a shitty romantic boat ride and he's pissed. Belinda's like, he's gone for the day. I'm like, oh, and then she's like, actually, let's go. He might be in his office. I'll go check. And he's like, I'll come with you. I'm like, "Uh oh, Mm -hmm. because we already know Armand's in his office having some drugs and getting naked with Dylan. What kind of a line is that? I'm obsessed with you and I want to get you naked. What do I got to do? <laughs> like, Dude, are you selling a car right now? <laughs> it's a very like to the point. That's the, un- that's his onion core right there. <laughs> he didn't want to go through the oh, layer. Onion core. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice reference. Um, but yeah, we cut to the scene where uh, Belinda opens the office door with Shane right behind her, looking over her shoulder to Dylan naked, Armand naked, eating Dylan's ass. I know. Oh my God. So this show had a nice handful of moments where I legit sat up and was like, 
what? <laughs> so I figured, you know, we're we're going to because by this point, we've seen dick and balls and some dude butt. So I'm like, OK, so maybe just some like anal sex or something. That's I, I that's legit what I was expecting. Just some. Me too. Some, I wasn't expecting the ass eating some basic anal sex. And <laughs> he's just like <laughs> all up in it. And <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> i'm like oh shit dude's getting fired now so again talk about like your cringe category that was just like there was because because shane was there as well and witnessed it and um of all the people you don't want to see fucking people but uh side note on uh the actor that played dylan sweet side tattoo i'm glad we got to see that that was really nice I couldn't help. Uh, I couldn't help admiring either. I was like, "Oh, that's a nice piece." Like, I'm not talking about his ass. No. <laughs> so that was a fun moment for me and Aaron because I watched this with my husband, and, and you know what? He got into the show too. Like he wanted to finish it. Yeah. He's like, "The show drives me crazy, but I have to know what happens." And, and it kind of gets you. It 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 gets. That's what it does to you. I think. Because there's that mystery, you know, we're still wondering who got murdered, how, when. And then you're like, is it Shane? I hope it's Shane, but it's not, it's Shane, not Shane because he's the airport. So who the hell gets murdered? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like this eating ass moment was not the first time I was like, wow, damn, they showed that on TV. Because I think the first moment was when Mr. Mossbacher, I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah. What was what it? Was, was it was it Mark? Mark, 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 Mark. Yes. Okay. So. He's like, you know, sitting half naked, red legs on the bed um, in front of his wife. And I'm like, okay, we're probably going to see his dick here. Nope. He's got that cupped in his hands. He's full on got his balls in it. Like there's, there's no camouflaging with like a a well-crossed leg or like a piece of robe or, or whatever. It was just full on balls in your face. And I'm like, oh, you know, I I don't think I wanted that, you know, and just, you know, when you don't get the whole package and you just have someone showing the balls, it's like, you know what? That's kind of not appealing. Like, why are we doing this? That was that was unexpected. And that happens right away in the first episode. So I think I don't have my notebook, damn it. But I was like, dick of balls real big. Um. <laughs> just balls. Oh, just balls. <laughs> and then and, and then the other man butt times. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I appreciate plenty of man butt. I mean, mm-hmm. that was nice because there's never that in shows. And I'm like, God, we've seen more men naked, like, yes, uh, unapologetically, unashamedly naked in, in somewhat real scenarios here than we have women. I'm just like, huh, this is a really interesting show. I love it. I <laughs> never happened. I was so thankful for that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. We got. Got distracted by dick and balls. But yeah, so Armand. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. <God>. No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I feel like there's nothing I can say right now that would lead us back to that. <laughs> um, well, let, let's go back to Armand pooping in the suitcase. <laughs> that's, that's better. That's about as best as. <laughs> Anywho, so yeah. Let me ask you something about that. (laughs) 
you know, if the whole afterlife is, is like real or whatever, and you get that, like, let's judge the actions of your life. Would you want to be known for your last act being shitting in someone's suitcase? Because that was his last act. That was how he went out. He shit in someone's suitcase. Like, oh. No, like, that's maybe a, not the most dignified last act. But at the same time, since yeah. we know who and why, like, fuck yeah. <laughs> wear, that, <laughs> wear that shit as a badge of honor. <laughs> well, he's going to have to in the afterlife. <laughs> of, you know, like, big old sign around the neck. How'd you die? I shit in someone's case. <laughs> He's a pooper. Like shaming your pets type signs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, put him in a cone of shame. No more ass for you. <laughs> oh, he'd be so sad. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's he's pooping in the suitcase. And uh, he gets done, right? He's like trying to leave or something. And that's when Shane comes in. So then. Well, no, no, he gets done and he makes that fatal error that all villains do. He stops to admire his handiwork. (laughs) (laughs) It was so big. Smug satisfaction. Like he said, he does that, you know, breathe in through the nose. Yeah, I did did that job. But yeah, so then then Shane comes in, he realizes that, you know, he smells the poop and he sees the poop in the suitcase. And then we get to see the poop in the suitcase. And then I I gagged a little more and (laughs) (laughs) I don't handle poop well. Like, I think it's funny, but it always makes me gag. Well, I'm like, I'm a mom. I've changed poopy diapers and there's been blowouts and all. And I'm like, why can't I handle it? This is disgusting. Even, even, yeah, even handling the blowout diapers. I, I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I did cause I would have to, but I would just be like off to the side the entire time. <laughs> and so it got to the point when Tim had to take care of the blowouts cause he didn't want to risk having to clean that up and vomit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim's a good man. But uh, oh, that spit up though. Ugh, gross. But I could oh. handle that for some ungodly reason. That's some rancid shit. Anyways. Yep. But here we are both like totally disgusted <laughs> to the point where we can't even look at shit in the suitcase. <laughs> but it's not stopping us from being giggly about it. Uh- <laughs> no, what's wrong with us? <laughs> Ew, that's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. So yeah, so Armand dies by the hands of mega douche shane because and it was an accidental stabbing it was and i was i was sad he said he was sorry (laughs) like he legit didn't want to do that and he was actually remorseful which and i'm like i'll huh i'll be honest i am actually surprised that shane apologized in any way i thought for sure shane's last words to armand were going to be like you fucking shit in my suitcase you know what I mean? Just to kind of continue that douchiness. Yeah. Or like you just got what you deserve. Something, or something, yeah. something. But no, he actually was visibly upset by what had just transpired and apologized. And then when Armand like staggers backwards as Shane goes to get help and then falls into the beautiful giant bathtub that I very much want to have. Mm hmm. He almost dies with like a happy look on his face. And then I'm looking at where the stab moon is and I'm like, 
Okay, so I think like that might have hit his liver and maybe his lung, but that's not the side that the heart is on, and it's too low that it could have like crossed into it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so I'm like, why did that kill him? I mean, I was kind of hoping that this was going to be like another little misdirect because, yeah, I was like, that doesn't have to be a fatal stab wound. No, it wasn't. But maybe the drugs, has, I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. Or maybe he just wanted to die in bed. But I honestly don't know. But on the subject of misdirections. So, you know, we had one right at the beginning, like we talked about. But then we had another one in the character, Greg, like coughing up a lung mm-hmm. all the yeah. time. Like, dude's got lung cancer, says he's going to drop that at any moment. I'm like, OK, maybe he's the body on the plane. And then I'm like, no, that's too obvious. He's a red herring. Yeah, yeah. And that'd be kind of, I guess, not necessarily odd to introduce a character later in the season that ends up being the body. That would have been a good yeah, misdirection. But yeah, so it it did a good job keeping you guessing throughout. Like you didn't know who was going to get it until right then and there when Shane went with the knife and you're like, "Uh oh, Mm -hmm. because Armand's way too wasted to get out of there quickly. Yep. I was really hoping. Uh, Oh, I was so sad. I just loved his character, though. Like, don't get me wrong. The guy was a douche in his own right, but someone who's been exploited by rich white people over and over and over again on a daily basis. And we're not just talking about his boss. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I get that he's a white male and, you know, so it's not to the full extent of, of the damage that white privilege can do, but still he's a victim of it too. And yeah, he reached his breaking point because of one fucking giant douchebag. It's just like, damn, I feel really bad for this guy. Like, was what did he always do the right thing? Hell no. He was a vindictive little shit a lot of the time. <laughs> um, but I genuinely felt bad for him. Yes, I did, too. I I just I, I was sad that it ended up being Armand. Because then going into this, knowing that uh, season two had been approved. And they won't have him as the manager anymore. But Belinda's still there. Yeah. And you you said that Rachel broke your heart. Belinda (sighs) broke mine. Belinda. I was so fucking sad for Belinda. And but at the same time, it's like, I think because it's like I saw it coming. You know, it's like she helps Tanya kind of deal with some pain and grief and everything. And Tanya is so grateful that. She thinks she wants to give Belinda like her own wellness center and kind of do her own thing. And she's like, I want to fund this. I think you're great. Totally want to do this. And she gets Belinda's hopes up. Belinda's kids like, mom, you got to go for it. And she types up this really long business plan, which I thought was super fucking cute because she's just that excited. I don't know how long business proposals are supposed to be but those were a lot of pages she was printing they're sizable documents yeah but I just there because Tanya kept pushing back different dinners and and time to talk about it and everything and then Tanya gets kind of distracted so to speak by Greg and so by the end of the season she I mean good for Tanya to acknowledge toxic behavior on her part and to try and break those cycles for herself. But in doing so, she hurt Belinda and she broke Belinda's heart, which, yes, broke my heart as well. Although I I did see it coming. So I was like, I was kind of hoping for a surprise me twist. 
Yeah, and Belinda did get a giant wad of cash from her at the very least. So yeah, if she's smart with that giant wad of cash, maybe she could still make this a reality at some point. I don't know. But oh, that was just rough. But you know, Belinda needed to be a little more careful too. Like everything she said was valid, totally valid. But do you tell a rich white lady who's you're trying to get in business with how much you hate rich white ladies while you're trying to get in business with one? <laughs> no, that's probably not the right time. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> but I don't think that's what I don't think that had any bearing or on on Tanya's decision. No, because Tanya hurt. was like Tanya was like, um, you know, if there was one consistency about her character, she was off in her own world the whole damn time, which I loved. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> I'm surprised that they threw that that dialogue in with Belinda and didn't have that go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it just kind of more or less was to help fill in the bigger picture of white Lotus, uh, the, the, these other characters and more or less, I guess the theme of the, of the show as a whole. Yeah. You're right about that. So you're right. I mean, it, it, they could have gone further with that, but given our other examples of rich white women and their privilege, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was, it was, I guess, yeah, it, it it was fine. (laughs) But well, no, it was just a cringe moment for me yeah. because on the one hand, I totally agree with her. But I'm like, you d- you don't do that when you're in the middle of a business proposal type thing situation, because I'm like, oh, she's going to blow it. Oh, no, oh, no. But then nothing came of it. I was like, OK, Tanya's not really paying attention. So I cringed over this for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, I feel like Tanya, Tanya or Tanya, whatever. Kind of, yeah, aside from being in her own world, maybe she was kind of the right person for Belinda to share that with. Uh, You're maybe right. Maybe she kind of got that vibe <laughs> that, oh, this isn't really going to go anywhere with her because she's off <laughs> over there. <laughs> You're right. Actually, that's a good point. Maybe she just needed someone to vent to and she couldn't like contain it anymore mm-hmm. and thought she was in a safe space there. So, yeah, you're right. It was just an interesting interaction between the two of them that didn't play out at all how I expected it to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it kind of but it kind of led to Tanya having one of the only like true funny moments of the series to me was when she has that first date with Greg and he's, you know, he abbreviated the organization he was with to BLM. And I thought it was Black Lives Matter and she thought it was Black Lives Matter. I knew it wasn't going to be. Bureau of Land Management. I knew it wasn't going to be Black Lives Matter. I knew she just I was like, there's no way that dude is involved in Black Lives Matter. And if he was, then great egg on my face. But it was it was (laughs) it was her eagerness, her reaction to that of, oh, where I was like, "Mm, it's not going to be this is going to be another one of those little cringy moments. And so she told she's like, oh, and he works for Black Lives Matter. And Great. Yeah, I, lo- I lost it there. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and then when she told when when Tanya told Belinda that he doesn't work for Black Lives Matter, <laughs> Belinda's reaction was just kind of like, oh darn. Like, <laughs> anyways, onto the point. Like onto our discussion. I don't know. I thought, yeah, I just the whole thing. Funny. Yeah, it was funny. I agree. I like how in uh, 
Tanya or Tanya, whatever, however you say her name. I like how in her case, like meeting Greg and everything, she becomes this like insecure, almost teenager in the way she acts around him and everything. And he just steadfastly weathers like her emotional roller coaster of, I don't know, unhingedness. And he's just like, whatever. Yeah. I love like, no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do what you say. She was, (laughs) she was finally like honest and like self-aware about herself. And she let it all out the core of the onion. You know, she doesn't want to be like a blooming onion with all these layers. She just wants to rip those layers off here. Here she is hot mess and all with no ability to control herself. (laughs) And he's just like, I still want to fuck you. So I was, I was happy that, that Tanya had, had gotten to that point. Cause we see, I, she is a hot fucking mess dealing with her mom's yeah. death. And then we kind of learned that her mom was kind of a shitty person. And here we see this grown ass woman struggling with that. And I think that's relatable for a lot of people kind of dealing with the death of someone that you mourn, but you don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then maybe no, the guilt that. over not mourning enough. And then just that kind of cycle and just being a mess. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And, you know, to her credit, a couple of things at the end, she finally properly got rid of the rest of the ashes after the failed attempt on the romantic boat dinner. (laughs) And, and she was happy doing it. But then also, you know, once her and, and Greg decided to see where this goes, uh, she got hit on by arguably the hottest guy there. And and she's just like, I'm sorry, this, this seat's taken. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, good for you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I did appreciate, I appreciated her honesty with Belinda in as, as to why she wasn't going to just jump right in with uh, yeah. funding Belinda's business. Tanya had valid reasons. And she's like, I don't want another transactional relationship. I, I, so I took that as Tanya wants to get to know Belinda and understand, you know, maybe the, the business, what Belinda wants to do a bit more before she just dives blindly in. Yeah. And I didn't hear it as a, no, I yeah. heard it as a, not right now. Cause she's like, I need time to think about it because this is what I've realized. Yes. And so, and I understand again, why that was so heartbreaking for mm-hmm. Belinda. Absolutely. She really got her hopes up yeah. and ouch, but I don't think it's necessarily over. I don't think so either. I think I, I think Tanya will actually call Belinda and follow through with at least something. I also felt like while I was happy that Tanya gave Belinda that big old fat wad of cash, I kind of yeah. I kind of felt like that was a, a bit of a slap in the face constellation prize. And I feel like maybe that can be metaphoric or representative of larger problems of people of color being told and promised one thing. And then have that rug ripped out from underneath them and being like, well, here's a smaller something that you should still be grateful for. And I know that's not how Tanya presented Mm -hmm. it and how it maybe, you know, came across like in a big, bright light in any way. But I I picked up on some of that. I don't know. Did you kind of get a a little feeling that this was just um, thanks for playing? it, It had its layers like that. I think that Tanya specifically, her character meant to give that as a like an apology. Yeah. Like, and you know, her only really 
the only way she knows because how to because, apologize. Yeah, the only way she knows how to apologize and show someone their value is, as she put it, transactionally. Mm-hmm. So sh- she wanted to like communicate that she's sorry and that Belinda is still of great value to her and what she's provided to her in terms of her own personal growth and all that. But then, you know, at the same time, like underneath that, that seems like the rich person especially the rich white person's way out of everything is just here this will smooth it over so I don't have to feel bad about this anymore Mm -hmm. and yeah then you're you're right like again I don't think Tanya's character meant it this way no but it is still very much what rich white people do yep now if and she doesn't she doesn't see what's wrong with that right Exactly. It's like people of color get strung along all the time with these, you know, promises and of whatever. And then just, nope, change my mind, whatever reason, valid or not, we're not going to go through with this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was hard to, that was so hard to see. I felt like you, I felt like my heart broke for Belinda and Rachel. It can do, it can break into all sorts of little pieces. Yeah. (laughs) There's four chambers. (laughs) so but again I just I I just I had that feeling that it wasn't going to go anywhere the way that you know Tanya was kind of in her own world and more or less flaky and kind of yeah that was probably the most predictable storyline of the characters interactions yeah yeah and you know well sometimes stories play out exactly like you think they will it's just the way it is Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we had so much other things going on that it was easy to not get wrapped up in that, too. Yeah. Which I felt like we were almost put in the same position as, like, the characters in that, yeah, this is a, a meaningful story, but it's it's not really the most important story to us Yeah. right now. Yeah. So the show did a really good job doing that because mm-hmm. I almost felt bad. I'm like, oh, I I. I completely backseated this because of all this other crazy shit that's going on. So much fucking crazy shit. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. So some of the other crazy shit we get is from, I, I, I guess truly the, the true representation of a rich white family, the Mossbackers and their token and non-white friend. Yep. Paula. And, and, and through Paula, we meet Kai. <sighs> so sad. I need a moment. Poor fucking Kai. All right. So the Mossbackers played by uh, Connie Brighton as the mom. Loved her. Love her mm-hmm. so much. I was so happy when I, when I recognized her. I was like, <laughs> yeah, she's great. And then Steve Zahn. I always I always enjoy seeing him. I think he's very, oh. very funny. Yes. Quick aside about Steve Zahn. Uh, Aaron mistook him for Alan Tudyk. Oh, I can He's see like, that. I know where I see him from. He was Steve the pirate. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could see that though. I, for me, Steve's on. I, I always is that thing you do with uh, yeah, Tom Hanks yeah. and uh, other people. Anyways, that was a good movie. It's one of my favorites. I love the movie and the soundtrack, but. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the last thing last thing I've seen Steve Zahn in. So for me, this has been a more recent thing with him in it. And so I loved it. I was very happy to see that. Yay, Steve Zahn's still making things. He's still starring in things. And uh, I loved I kind of felt bad for his character a bit 
Cause not at first when he's thinking he's got ball cancer. Cause I'm like, okay, <laughs> so this guy's maybe like a tad hypochondriatic or whatever his wife. I don't know. She's manic or <laughs> what's wrong with Nicole, but the way she keeps moving shit around in the, in the hotel room. OCD. Yeah. Maybe, something. Yeah. I don't know. Or the daughter's just like, mom, they have pills for this. <laughs> like, Stop being manic. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. Uh, I didn't necessarily feel bad for him possibly having ball cancer either, especially since we all got a, such a nice look at that. Um, they looked, they did look a little swollen. <laughs> kudos to the camera crew then. I don't know. Or maybe they were. <laughs> but, it was it was all prosthetics. Um, and I read that it wasn't it, they even even for the close up shots, it wasn't Steve Zahn. It was his body double because I guess it matched <laughs> closer to maybe like the skin. T- and it, it basically is a time saver. And it was just easier to have the, the body double sit with the prosthetic dick and balls than Steve Zahn. Fantastic. There you go. <laughs> dick and balls. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, Steve Zahn, in my experience of watching his work, he's usually like the comic relief character. Mm-hmm. So it was cool to see him in a more serious grown up type role. And yeah, he was definitely like beta male in this family yes. structure. Yes. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it was so nice to see, uh, you know, uh, yes, they're a rich white family, but they're a rich white family because the woman the the mom is the one you know making that happen Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay well that's a nice spin on it that's cool let's see where this goes but you know we we see their kids as well i can't remember the son's name which is sad because if there was anyone in that family that i genuinely felt sorry for it was him quinn quinn yeah poor kid bullied and you know repressed and whatever's going on with him like literally, literally shoved in like a kitchen sized closet in a closet sized kitchen <laughs> yeah with no windows no ventilation of any kind <laughs> so for a second i was like oh shit is that the body <laughs> yeah i was like is he gonna die of of overheating in here because uh, you can and then when he said he was gonna go out and sleep on the beach because olivia and paula were you know being mean to him Mm -hmm. i was like okay is like his his nintendo switch and at all are going to obviously get water soaked here but is he gonna die on the beach (laughs) is this why there's a body on the plane i feel like we were playing a game of clue but instead of trying to guess who did it we're trying to guess which one dies exactly (laughs) like who and where like yeah where with what was it was it (laughs) from who and (laughs) colonel mustard on the beach hypothermia (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's kind of how it felt but you know we see some stereotypical things that are associated with rich families the the entitledness and all of their conversations with each other the the mom being the breadwinner being an absolute workaholic who cares more about appearances than substance in terms of family interactions mm-hmm. and and whatnot making sure she's got the perfect zoom background and even though she, she looks like a mess she, there's she's got a filter for that i got a filter for that i laughed at that <laughs> uh, but yeah i feel like so many people who came on this to this resort were kind of lost 
in their own little bubbles and they're trying to find their way out and some succeeded better than others. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Paula ended up being more lost by the end of it, but everyone else in that family kind of had a, I don't know, almost like an epiphany moment, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mark's marriage uh, with Nicole was clearly a business marriage at this point Mm -hmm. like there was no affection demonstrated between them like yes she looked at his balls when he was concerned about them and and commented but it was very much matter of fact Mm -hmm. more medical like like there was there was supportiveness there but only like I need to support you because this is part of my brand yep and it needs to keep going and you need to deal with your shit and then you know by the end they're all very much in love again yes yeah I thought there were, they were kind of interesting in that way too, because it's like, whether he was just blowing something up, you know, with the, with, you know, Mark and having ball cancer, she was just like, oh, you know, you're fine. And then he gets the revelation about his dad. So, cause he's, so Mark's still worried about the cancer thing. His dad died at a young, when, when Mark was young from cancer or so we thought, or so we thought. So when Mark's talking to his uncle about it, that's when he learns the truth. And for a second, I was like, the dad's not actually dead. That's good. Yeah, that's going to be the twist. No, the dad didn't die. Yeah. But, but the dad did die. The dad died of AIDS. Uh, the dad had a secret life. I guess he lived, he lived two lives. I hate to call, mm-hmm. I hate to call one, the one where he was living his truth, the secret life, because I thought it was, it, it was to Mark. Right. That was the secret life. Yeah. But that's from, a good point. It depends on whose perspective. Yeah. Cause then I feel like, you know, from that dad's perspective, the married life was the secret life. And he was trying. So regardless, he was living two lives, one as a mm-hmm. straight married man and the other living his truth of being a gay man. And so he got AIDS and he had passed away. So we see that's kind of that little bit in, in reading about. Mike White, the director, where he pulled that little bit, that tiny bit of real life experience and incorporated it into the show. And so we see we see Mark kind of dealing with this, maybe not well, because he goes and just keeps on drinking all day long. Well, no, but you know what I really appreciated of his whole dealing with this was his commitment to the monkey metaphor. <laughs> He did. He really stuck with that one. <laughs> and when he came home, like super drunk, <laughs> making all the he monkey just kept that going. Oh, even when he, she's like, no, he's just like, Ugh. Ugh. I'm just like, dude, out. drop it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved his encounter with Armand in the bar because at this point, you know, Armand is already on the train to Fucketville. Mark's kind of Mark's all nice and wasted. And so he's kind of letting Armand know this is what I found out you know, about. And then he's just like to Armand, like, well, you're gay, right? Armand's like, yeah. And asks him about like anal sex. And What's it like getting <laughs> fucked up the ass. And Armand's like, do you want to find out? And I held my breath for a second because I was like, oh, my God, if he says yes, I'm going to fall right the fuck off this couch. <laughs> I really thought he was going to because, you know, he was already hitting on those women and and whatnot. So he was like kind of in the mindset to be led to stray. Yeah. And then we later find out that he has strayed in the past. Mm-hmm. But 
So I'm like, ah, shit, he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. And then he, then he walks away. I'm like, I was like, is he going to try and understand, like, you know, try to bridge that gap that, you know, since his dad's not with us, he can't have that conversation. So is he going to literally put himself in a position <laughs> to try and relate, <laughs> find a way to relate I need to, to his understand dead dad? my father better? <laughs> I'm going to try oh, anal geez. sex. Oh, so again, this was even Armand just saying that. I was just like, what? <laughs> and I was like, okay, Armand's he's done. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like what we were seeing was a lot of like confusion for him mm-hmm. emotionally because what he thought his relationships with people who were important to him were were not what they were at all. And you know, he's made mistakes in the past and he's still very much paying for them. Um and he seemed like a very defeated, emasculated person. Mm-hmm. And then when Kai attempts, to, makes his ill-fated attempt to rob them mm-hmm. and he saves Nicole, it reignites their marriage. But I don't know. What did you think of the whole Kai, uh, Paula, and to an extent, Olivia storyline? So real quick with Paula and Olivia, the conversations, they, the, the back and forth Olivia has with her mom in the beginning, we see that kind of uh, uh, Generation Z versus Boomer kind of those back and forths, you know, that we read about, see online and stuff like that. So I kind of liked that that was addressed. And we've got these two young people that are very, quote, woke and very much all about performative activism. <laughs> yeah. Performative being the key word. Yes. They might be woke, but they're, they, they like saying, assholes. they like saying the words, they're no better than anyone else that just repeats the buzz phrases. You know what I mean? P- repeats the buzzwords, the catchphrases, the easy clipped audios and stuff. That's, that's kind of where I, where I, yeah. And them. I got to admit, Nicole was really good. And Mark to a lesser extent at counter countering those those empty gestures Mm -hmm. not saying that either party is wrong or right in what they said because there's truth on on you know both sides of those conversations absolutely but they were right to call them out on the bullshit because they're just talking it was a very not doing anything that was a very well written back and forth of the two generations and kind of what they both like represent and where I guess more or less their roles are in current society or their feelings on, on current society, their, their feelings, their opinions. So I thought that was, I loved, I loved the back and forth with the girls and the parents again, not saying one was right or one was wrong. It was just very well written. And I think it perfectly shows a lot of like the comments and the Twitters and the back and forths. Excellent job. Mm-hmm. Now, when it came, when it comes to Paula and Kai, she finds something more or less her own. And we kind of learn that Olivia can't really be trusted. Olivia will try and snatch up Kai if she knows that Paula's with him. So there we've got <laughs> your colonialism. <laughs> I know. Like in the most basic way possible. There it is. And then with um, with Paula. Then trying to convince Kai, because we learn about uh, 
the history of like the land and Kai's family and everything. And he's still trying to fight like the developers, but he doesn't have the money for the lawyers as well as the history of the $75,000 bracelet. Yes. Of Nicole's result, you know, as, as penance for Mark's affair. Yes. So I felt like Paula trying to convince Kai to break in. Cause she got the, she got the safe, the code to the safe and everything was just another well-painted picture of allyship gone wrong and not mm-hmm. real and not knowing what the fuck you're doing, but that there are people that performative or not, they do want to help. She's finally come come face to face with a real life actual problem. And she wants to do her best to find a way to help fix it. Yeah. And not the best idea. No, it was the worst idea. And I was very sad for Kai that he managed to convince himself to do it. And there I saw that desperation of someone in, in Kai's specific situation of like, this is wrong. I know it's wrong. I, this, I don't do this. I don't steal from people. This is not who I am. This is not what I do, like all of that, but this makes me as bad as them. Yeah. But then also being so desperate that you end up convincing yourself to do it. Yeah. I mean, I will give Paula credit in that. She said, look, the choice is yours, but this is the situation. Yes. So I will give her that. But I found myself questioning, like, again, I believe there are layers to this. I believe she genuinely wanted to help someone she cared about who was put in a shit position because of absolutely rich white people's greed. Mm -hmm. But I also think that this was her way of getting back at Olivia a bit too. Oh, absolutely. She was, I, I think she saw a way to kind of kill two birds with one stone. She was mad at Olivia because she found out Olivia went and hit on Kai because Olivia knew about Paula and Kai. Mm -hmm. And again, what a shitty fucking friend. And what better way to get back at her than finding than to steal from her, but then also find like kind of Robin Hood it, you know, I'm going to steal from the rich, give to the poor, like fuck you, fuck you. Very poorly thought out. Very poorly thought out. Those bracelets cost $75,000. They're unique enough that you can't just fence those. Right. Like seriously. Yeah. But also let's like, let's talk about Olivia a minute here. She was the one character where my husband is like, she's a great actress because I fucking hate. Yes. Yes. She she was the worst. worst. As far as performative goes, I mean, that was right up there. Uh, But I also saw the moments where she was genuinely trying to be a good friend. And I'm like, what's happening here? Is she actually growing as a person or like, is there some other game afoot? Like, but then, then, you know, this was towards the end of the episodes. So it's like, well, we're not going to find out. Mm -mm. It's one of those things. Do they still remain friends after all this? Okay. So I was a little confused on kind of the ending with uh, Olivia and Paula. So Kai gets caught. And he gets arrested. And another thing that I had read was, again, with Kai being arrested and going to jail for likely the rest of his life. And then Shane. Yeah, it's a felony because of how much those bracelets were worth. Yep. He's done. But then also, you know, 
about how it showcases how there's two different justice systems. It's like, yes, he committed, yes, Kai committed a felony and yes, Shane murdered someone out of self-defense, but we saw that again, Shane was allowed to leave like immediately. (laughs) He was, he didn't have to stick around for a couple of days and you know, yeah, how is that fair? And you know, you just know that Kai was made an example of, you know? Mm -hmm. And so he's, yeah. No, I feel bad for Kai. Like, yeah, he made a really dumb decision mm-hmm. and circumstances outside of his control made it impossible for him to get away with it mm-hmm. because he compounded that decision by making even more dumb ones by attacking them both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, but you could also credit him for saving their marriage. So, you know, maybe they'll give him a pass. I don't know. Yeah. But regardless it's just not fair the poor kid yeah and he is just a kid but you know I just I don't know well it's like we with with Paula and Olivia talking about the whole situation because Olivia figures it out because that's not fucking hard well no and Olivia is not an idiot no and you know and so they're talking when they are first kind of talking about it Olivia's like something bad, something really bad could have happened. And Paula in tears says something really bad did happen. So it's like, we see Olivia still concerned about her family. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's the only vision she has. It's just that bubble that something really bad could have happened to them and not that something really bad is going to happen to Kai or that something really already bad happened to put Kai in that situation. It's just that limited view of Olivia and the Mossbackers versus Paula and what she learned from being with Kai. Uh, Do you feel like she learned anything from that? Because, you know, that exchange genuinely upset Olivia and maybe like helped repair her relationship with her mother a little bit. But you know, she then went back to her friend and, you know, Paula at this point is, I don't know, deep into remorse for Kai and for what she did and, you know, how this could play out for her too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But Olivia decided to be there for her anyway, mm-hmm. which was not at all what I expected. No. And that's what I find a bit confusing is because we have that moment where Olivia goes and hugs Paula and confront and tries to comfort her. And Paula's like, I fucked a bunch of, she's like, I fucked up. But then it's almost like by the last episode, they're back to just being who they were at the beginning of the season. Just two, two girls with their sunglasses, fake reading books. You know what I mean? Like they showed them sitting next to each other. I don't remember if it was at the airport or pool or something, but it was like almost an exact same shot from when we first meet them when they're sitting by the pool, fake reading and being all judgy towards Rachel. Cause they were, they were mean little bitches to Rachel. They were until <laughs> she took her, until she took her clothes off and was in her swimsuit. Yep. Then they're like, uh, Whoa. Yeah. And another reason why I felt bad for Rachel, everyone there shit on her. I mean, the, the daughters, the girls were, the girls were perfectly passive and bitchy to her. Nicole straight up called her out on the shitty article. I'm glad she did that because that ugh. and then uh, and then Mark was just being drunk and weird. <laughs> so she's well, that, she that's has, Mark. Yeah. yeah. So Rachel, again, starts off with not having anyone else to talk to at this resort. And it's, you know, small group of guests. But anyways, back to the Mossbackers. 
so yeah, the daughters, I don't know, or Olivia and Paula, I, I don't know where they stand at the end of this. It seemed like Paula's now okay with everything. And she's got her friend back, even though there's times throughout the season, she's like, she's not really a friend. She's very tricky. I can't have anything on I've, my own. Can't be honest with her. I think Paula got taken down a peg in her moral superiority and Olivia got taken down a peg in her realization that as woke as she thinks she is, she didn't understand this. And when um, Paula called her out on that, it hurt. Mm -hmm. Like, and you know, she finally had to pay for what she had done to her friend in the past. So maybe, maybe their friendship is okay because they're both more evenly matched now. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I did, but I, I don't know. I was trying to figure that out. It was, I, I couldn't I was, figure it out. I still don't, I don't know where, where they, live. I don't know where the kindness came from with Olivia, because if there was one thing she showed the entire time was that she didn't have an ounce of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think you're right. I think a little bit of Paula calling out Olivia brought her down a little bit. And because Paula's like, well, this is your tribe, your family, these people, people here at this resort. This is your tribe. And you may not have stolen personally, but you all (laughs) your tribe, your people have. And I think that was quite the wake up call for Olivia And maybe because then after that, you know, they're having their last dinner down at the restaurant and all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, Olivia's participating in the family conversations and laughing and joking. And, you know, the tension between mom and dad has lifted and all of this. And I was just kind of like, okay, so now you're cool with having your family, you're cool with your tribe and being part of that tribe. You're going to own up to it instead of being this like performatively woke young person. (laughs) Yeah, maybe she was being more genuine. Maybe. So I don't know. Like that's I don't completely understand uh what allowed them to repair their friendship so quickly. Yeah. But we don't have the history of their relationship either. We just see them while they're on this vacation. Mm-hmm. But you know, that leaves that leaves the younger brother, Quinn. Yep. You said. Yep. Um, yeah. And He's left as the only one without a tribe, it feels like. Like, um, I got to give him credit, too. He was clearly addicted to his technology. And, you know, he slowly pulled himself out of that, seeing a whale and seeing those guys, you know, canoeing and joining them. Just And I'm like, wait, how is he keeping up with them when he's paddling with them? Look at this scrawny kid who's never exercised. Look at them. Well. Just and, and real quick with the canoe team, because, you know, we talked about dude butt and everything like there were a lot of very, very beautiful men in this show. Kai I himself know. was he he reminded me of like a little AC Slater. <laughs> he did. Yeah, I think I think Aaron even referred to him as Mario Lopez. Yeah. And so, and then we get the, oh my God, that canoe team. At first I thought it was going to oh. be uh, Quinn's like sexual awakening. You know, the way he was staring at these very, yeah. very handsome That's what I thought too. I'm like, oh, so the gain is skips a generation. Got it. Maybe I was just like projecting my feelings <laughs> at the time. Like, oh, okay. So that's why, that's why we're staring at these guys, Quinn. I see why you are and me, but 
I mean, <laughs> so yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the lovely bodies, the lovely male well, bodies. No, I was kind of getting to the same sorry. point because I was like, look at them. Yeah. And then he's like paddling stroke for stroke with them around the islands. And I'm like, well, dude, are you some like super athletic, give, athletically gifted white boy who has an exercise a day in his well, life? He was he was just figuring because he's like, well, I'm not as good as you guys. And they're like, we need the dead weight. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. But by the end, you know, he was he was at least keeping pace. I don't know how much effort he how much force was in those paddles, but he was he was keeping the rhythm, keeping pace with the other uh, canoers. And yeah, I was I was really happy for him. I was, too. But I don't understand how he managed to pull that off. It's like, okay, he left the airport. He ran away from the airport after everyone else went down the boarding tunnel. Totally saw that coming. Mm -hmm. And he went back to the beach and he got in the canoe and paddled off to whatever his happy ever after apparently is as a 16 year old, a 16 year old white boy from a rich white family. That is not going to last. Like, where's he getting his money from? How's he getting his food? Where's he staying? Aren't the cops going to show up and be like, Dude, oh, you, you got to go home? You know, they will. You know, it's going to be so super short lived because there's no way Nicole's going to be is just going to let that slide. So he gets right. he gets another day of freedom <laughs> before he gets hauled back to the States, back to the city. I'm glad he got out of his technology addiction, though. Me, too. I was like, oh, so that's what I needs felt- to happen. I, my The ocean needs to take my phone. Got it. Thank God we yeah. live in the Midwest. No, <laughs> an ocean with a bunch of hot canoers. OK, fine. You're going to throw that at fine. <laughs> I'm just like, here you go. <laughs> in Hawaii. In Hawaii. <laughs> I'll sit in the boat and you can paddle me around. OK. Sure. Take my phone. Take my laptop. Take everything. I don't care. <laughs> I like. Yeah. So I liked Quinn's his little mini arc because it wasn't really yeah. anything. I don't feel like it was as layered as like that character wasn't as layered as some of these other characters. No, but it's appropriate. I mean, him being yeah. a 16 year old who has done nothing but sit in front of a screen probably his whole damn life. Yeah, it makes sense that he has no layers yet because. What else does he do except get pushed around by his sister and play video games or watch porn? (laughs) You know, and that's the power of the ocean. If it can stop a a teenage boy from fapping and just enjoy the enjoy the nature. Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) I have a teenage boy. That's all I'm going to say. All right. uh, Let's see. Any other stray observations, uh, episode scenes that we didn't talk about that you want to shine a light on or anything else you want to throw out there or to think we covered it all pretty good. I think we covered it all pretty well. Like, you know, the show seemed to touch on some pretty big, like racially driven cultural appropriation driven issues through the right lenses. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So I want to like give it the credit it deserves there. For sure. And I'm going to give credit to um, our listener who recommended this because going into this, I didn't think it was going to be my kind of thing. But even with I the mini, really, even with the mini failed heist, as soon as as soon as Kai decided, yeah. I was like, oh, it's a tiny heist. Oh, it, I know. Everything I, went I, wrong. Had a, I had a moment there where, <laughs> where I was like, oh, yay. But OK, failed heist wise. He had to press four numbers on the safe and he kept on messing it up. Like, dude, he had gardening gloves. And I'm just like, 
there's there's got to be cameras in the hallway watching you go in there. There might not be cameras in the room because that'd be pretty fucked up. But I'm like, there's there's no way you are getting away. I Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's so sad. That's yeah, really sad. But but, uh, you know, I got to give credit to the listener who recommended this because I did enjoy it. Um, it's been a while since I've seen a, a satire, you know, carry its own weight like that. Mm-hmm. And if cringe is your thing, it's up there. <laughs> uh, so many cringy moments in this show. I don't think we've touched on them all. No, I don't. But I don't think we have the time today. <laughs> it's no, it's left. A, it's left an impact. And interestingly, we went straight from watching that to uh, watching the third season, the most recent season of the show, You. Oh, I have not gotten Which started into that. out as a, a lifetime show and is now a Netflix show. It wasn't that show also has some real cringe to it. It's like, like we've watched a few episodes now and we're like yelling at the screen. Oh, my fucking God. No, <laughs> Joe, don't do that. Like, why? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, OK, so I guess we're we're full on into this this genre now because like (laughs) this this show started it might as well keep it going um yeah you is definitely worth watching for sure i'd even go so far as to recommend talking about it if you ever get around to it oh god okay next year next year sure (laughs) but uh, you know uh yeah i really really enjoyed the show uh it wasn't as funny as i thought it was going to be since the description led with it being a comedy but it definitely had enough funny moments peppered in where you could have a little chuckle Mm -hmm. and and you know it kept you very engaged with just the shittiness that was going on like I think Aaron put it best uh this is like friends without the laugh track these are all just really shitty people (laughs) yeah yeah they they are they were not all that great and some had a better ending than others I'm not sure who yet Tanya had a good ending (laughs) Tanya had a good one and by extension Greg I suppose Uh, Quinn had a good one for a 16 year old boy who has no idea what's going on with him in his life Nicole and Mark and maybe a little Olivia too I still still don't know where Paula stands at the end of this I still don't know is she just gonna it's fine now she's gonna go home go back to school and I think something significant is going to change in her life, but I don't know what. Yeah. And maybe that's true for Olivia as well, but I honestly don't know. But yeah, kudos to the woman who played Olivia because like she's like Joffrey level hateable. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. I was like, I don't fucking trust. I don't trust that little girl as far as I could throw her skinny butt. Yeah. So like really well done performances wise too. So, yeah, nice little show. I, I'm really curious to see what happens with the second season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to thank uh, our listener for suggesting this. I, I hadn't heard of it. And so I went into it. I didn't. All I knew was like the teeny tiny description on IMDb, which is basically like yeah, some people at a resort. I'm like, OK, <laughs> I was like, all right. So I didn't realize it was going to be a bit of a murder mystery, that there was going to be a mini heist, that it was going to be like a social commentary (laughs) and still be funny. I mean, yeah, it's not laugh out loud funny, but it definitely there was definitely comedy there. I thought that even though like the scene where 
Tanya breaks Belinda's heart about opening the spa <laughs> and she, she leaves and Belinda starts crying, but, but Tanya forgot her sunglasses. <laughs> oh, you're right. That was so awkward. <laughs> it was horrible. And again, another perfectly cringy moment, but I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I love it. Oh, you're, you're right. You're right. I totally forgot about that one. Okay. I went from being heartbroken to just in a giggle fit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a rare feat for a show, but I have a question for you. Do you have a favorite moment or favorite line from the show? For me, Armand's little line about them being lotus eaters and then staying at the white lotus immediately brought Greek mythology to mind. And I'm like, oh my God, this is what we're watching. And that was that was like epiphany moment for me. And that's exactly. And that was exactly like the intent of that line is to pull from that uh, uh, inspiration. And yeah, basically kind of lay it out like that, that this is what we're seeing. So I don't know that I have. I feel I felt like there was a couple of lines that really fucking cracked me up. But so I but I, I can't think of what they were. Um, my favorite scene I don't know. Like I said, Jennifer Coolidge is a fucking gem. She needs to be greatly appreciated and loved and admired and respected. But it was when they're on the, when they're on the boat uh, doing like the dinner slash ash spreading. And she totally thinks that like Shane and Rachel are there for her. They don't re- she doesn't realize that Armand <laughs> fucked him over and their, their table is at the end of the boat and they come down they're just like, oh, you know, we're going to get started. We need you to move. And then Dylan just like picks up the table and starts moving it. And everyone's crowded around like the back of the boat and they're trying to clear it out. And Tanya's standing there with the box with her mom's ashes. And Shane and Rachel are just kind of like, oh, okay, sure. Of course. What the fuck? That one cracked me up too. Jennifer Coolidge. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Is she uh, like, I don't know anyone who could play it that kind of character like she can <laughs> and when she starts crying <laughs> <laughs> that was the best fake worst cry I've ever right love her so much. i'm gonna throw this out there was the onion core your favorite the core of the onion as it oh. were the, your favorite line because i mean it was a really good like metaphor uh not just for like not just for like the moment but just like in general, and I think for the show as well. And isn't a lotus kind of a a layered flower, like the way it opens? Or, I'm or am I, not sure. Am I still thinking blooming onions? I'm I'm gonna look that up. <laughs> I was like, I was like, was, is she calling herself Shrek? Because you know, ogres are like onions. <laughs> Horrible Mike Myers impression. I can do. I love it. Yeah, the the whole layer it's kind of layered a bit and it's very pretty it is very pretty and it's funny too because uh when laura had messaged me about doing uh covering the show the white lotus uh, the kids and i had just watched a few episodes of avatar the last airbender so i was like really confused for a moment (laughs) oh right because the order of the white lotus (laughs) uncle iroh yes so i was like how (laughs) <laughs> this was definitely not that no. <laughs> listeners please do not confuse the two. <laughs> oh, that would be horrible oh this must be like a spinoff from avatar the last ever no <laughs> <laughs> not for children 
Definitely not. Oh gosh. But yeah, this was, this was a great show. It hit on a lot of things. Um, we've got a great cast, a funny cast, you know, just very, very good actors. And even some of the younger uh, actors in this show that I, you know, obviously I'm old, so I know Connie Brighton and Steve's on and everyone does an amazing fucking job. And like you said, the girl that played Olivia, she's up there with uh, Joffrey level, like, oh, you're a shit. So the actress does an amazing job there. But I I'm kind of curious because I guess, yeah, season two. What do you think? How do you feel about it? Uh, a limited run series now being renewed for a second season? I'm surprised. But considering the premise is the hotel, I mean, it'd be fairly easy to just hit a different week and see mm-hmm. who's there then but I don't know I really enjoyed Armand and he's obviously not going to be in the next season unless they're going to have him haunt the hotel which would be hilarious but no longer satirical or maybe um, maybe we could see some of the guests in the weeks before this boat of shit this <laughs> this shit show <laughs> before this boatload of shitty people maybe it could be more like a flashback 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 you know where we see like maybe a year before that here's another group of shitty people that also was starting to push Armand towards that edge that's the only way we could get more Armand and I want more Armand I loved him I really did like yes he's a shitty person but no not as much as the people he was working with Mm -hmm. um like customers I mean not staff yeah but I just yeah I don't know who are they gonna put in charge now if it's Belinda it's definitely not going to be the same no well and they you know when we saw this group leave a new boat load of people were coming in and so Belinda had to put on that fake smile that happy face and greet the new and greet the new batch of customers oh my god so there was a new at least acting manager we didn't get an introduction to but there's a new dude in a coat there so what if season two we pick up with this new group on the heels of what the fuck just happened exactly theory Uh uh-huh this is like a anthology series of the shining type (laughs) situation where whoever is the manager of the hotel descends to madness because of some random fucking group of people yes they can't keep a manager (laughs) yeah 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 this is this this is my theory now i'm okay with this oh i like it i like it I, I really like it. Did I say I like it? Because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> we should be TV writers. <laughs> oh, shit. How, for how many years have we written great episodes? At least musical. The episodes. musical episode of Gotham not being made was a crime. Yeah, that was truly our <laughs> finest work. We may have peaked there. <laughs> no, because look what we just came up with. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so it's been a few years. Now we've peaked again. <laughs> We're on a very weird <laughs> cycle. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, until we get another season or until Laura and I find something else to gibber on about what's been streaming in your bubble. Well, I already mentioned you. So oh, that's me. <laughs> kind of what we're doing right now. <laughs> me. Otherwise, me. Um, it's been me. just kidding. Sorry. Right. Otherwise, you know, we have our Batman slash Alfred recording coming up. So there has been a ton of Batman and I keep finding more and more random animated movies to watch. And I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to keep all the different Bruce Wayne straight. Oh, my God. It's hard to it's hard to keep track of the uh, animated uh, the voice work for all the different Batmans, because there's 
there's been so many, but uh, let's see. I've been, aside from this, I just finished uh, season one of Dexter. Um, I got to start my Batmans. And then I've also got a recording with It's a Fandom Thing pod where we will be talking about John Waters and John Water movies. So oh, interesting. I get to watch a shitload of John Water movies. Like this is just an excuse. Oh, you are so excited. I am so excited. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just made like a weird face, like a weird trolley face, like haha, my precious. So <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, you know, I had a moment like that too, because you might finally get me watching some, I don't know, comic book TV series show because <gasps> Oh my God! Are ben you gonna Bond watch Arrow? Is apparently, a, a villain oh. in The Punisher, yeah. and I didn't watch that, and I should. You um, okay? So if you're gonna watch The Punisher, not just for Ben Barnes, but um, John Berthnall is is Frank Castle. He is Frank Castle. He is The Punisher. He's so fucking good. Now, did you watch Daredevil? You never watched Daredevil, did you? No, but I read an article about it this morning that made me go, I should watch this. And here's my dumb reason why. Are you ready for this? Ben Barnes being in The Punisher. He was in the movie Stardust, Neil Gaiman uh, story adapted to a movie. Not entirely the same as the book, but fantastic. Also is Michelle Pfeiffer in it, by the way. Hot as ever. White gold. Right? (laughs) But also... Daredevil has Charlie Cox in it. He's the main character in Stardust, and I absolutely adore oh. him. And I'm like, oh shit! If I had known this years ago, I'd have watched the show. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, okay, so you get your six degrees of Charlie Cox. Six degrees of Cox. <laughs> and we're back to maturity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think you'll really like. I think you'll really like Daredevil. I really liked it, and then John Berthnall as the Punisher makes his first appearance, I think, in season two of Daredevil, uh, which I often refer to as season one of The Punisher because I thought he stole the show. He stole that season. Awesome. But I'm excited. I'm excited for you to watch it. Well, you know, it has Ben Barnes, so I'll live. Yes. (laughs) He's, oh, yes. And there was just the uh, Ben Barnes reads thirst tweets that I watched the other day and I sent to you. And so for me to see someone that I've only associated with as a baddie, get all blushy and cute. I was like, oh, you're just a sweet little boy, aren't you? (laughs) See, and I'd only recently associated him as a baddie because of Shadow and Bone. Mm -hmm. Best title ever. Jesus Um, Christ, we can't get away from it now. (laughs) (laughs) But I had seen Ben Varnes in his small small opening role in Stardust. I had seen him as Prince Caspian in the Chronicles of Narnia, which despite its religious, I can't even say undertones because it's still pretty in your face. (laughs) is one of my favorite book series from when I was a kid because it did a really good job of immersing you in a world that was completely different to your own and not in a way that made you feel bad for reading something religiously based. Um, you know, So he was Prince Caspian in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is one of my favorites of that series. And he was just so young and innocent and adorable in that too and then you see him as the darkling in shadow and bone and i'm like oh i think i like bad bad ben barnes more and that's the nice alliteration that say, that, say cool. that five times fast bad ben barnes oh i will like, forget <laughs> who cares about prince caspian give me the darkling mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like oh he's also a villain in the punisher and in uh uh westworld what was it westworld and i'm just like huh 
I I might I might need to yeah check that out. Get caught up on so some stuff. I might go on a Ben Barnes kick. <laughs> You're welcome. In the near future. Well, right on. You let me know and um I'll be very happy for you. Maybe I'll start a I've been kind of wanting to like restart Punisher. Anyways, until then and until I figure out what I'm gonna watch after some pod required watchings. Just want to thank everyone for listening and joining us today. Thank you, Laura, for being here today. And um, thank you again, listener, for suggesting the show. It was it was a show and I recommend it. <laughs> I think everyone I think everyone should check this out if you haven't already. And if you don't like being in a constant state of cringe, you're not going to like this show. <laughs> but if you love Jennifer Coolidge, you're going to love this show. Heck, yeah. Man, she's always funny. She is. I love her. I love her. But anyways, thanks everyone and keep streaming. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.